Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. I'm so glad that you're here with us again. I'm glad to be here as we continue our series uh, through the book of Philippians. And so far, we've learned some pretty great things uh, that the Apostle Paul tells this church and tells us. But specifically, the past two weeks have been rather important because we've seen Paul kind of lay the groundwork for the mission uh, that you and me, that we are supposed to be a part of because this is what Jesus gave us to do. We're reminded of the importance of, we're reminded of the importance of sharing the gospel, that you and me, we need to be active in telling people about Jesus. And we learn that from Paul, that even in the midst of our difficulties, we can use those difficulties and those hard things we all go through in life to still share the gospel. In fact, it can springboard us into a different mission field and reach people we never would have thought about reaching. You know, I've been encouraged because I shared a pretty uh, an important story in my life with you that Sunday, and I've heard from many of you how that's helped you then share your story with other people, and it's helped other people hear what you've been through to talk about the goodness of God. And I mean, that just excites me. Remember, your testimony is something that nobody can ever take from you. It's yours, what you've been through, and people usually enjoy stories, right? So just remember, when you share your story, people will lean in and listen when you talk about what God has done in your life and, and through your life. Also about evangelism, we were really encouraged because this past Wednesday, we had 16 people come out to take part in the evangelism training, the practicum where we learned how to share our faith, and, and uh, Pastor Scott gave us some simple tools that we can use to do this. I mean, 16 people... If we have 16 people in our church actively sharing our faith, can you imagine? Well, we saw what 12 did, didn't we? Ever read the book of Acts? And so if you didn't show up and you forgot about it and you really wanted to be here but something came up, I want to encourage you to come out this Wednesday because this is a 10-week thing that we're going through. 10 weeks is right, 10 weeks. Yeah, 10-week thing that we're going through. And so if, listen, you want to be a part of that, come out on Wednesday night. Come be a part of learning how to share your faith um, with other people. Okay. Next, we learned last week that our mission doesn't just stop with sharing the gospel, but we saw that what also is a part of our mission is sharing our faith, but then also helping people become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we saw how Paul was willing to give up his desires so that people could grow in their faith. And church, that's why we exist. That's why the body of Christ exists. We exist to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. We have to put aside things that we want on our desires in order to help other people. So the question and the thing we talked about is, you know, the self-internal question is, what are we really living for? Are we living for sports? Are we living for retirement? Are we living for that one day somehow, something? Or are we really living and believing in the mission that Jesus Christ gave us? Because anything else you live for is small compared to what Jesus has asked you to do. Because we must be gospel-driven people. And what that means is we must allow the good news of Jesus Christ to control the direction of our lives. Not only what we talk about, but what we do in our homes and in our workplace and everything else. We must be gospel-driven people 
but also we must be a gospel-driven church. That is, collectively, we put the gospel and what it calls us to do as the primary focus of what we're doing. So today, Paul, after talking about those things, he goes in and talks about a topic that he knows must happen in order for us to actually accomplish this. He says there's one thing you got to know, one thing that you have to pay attention if you really want to get serious about the mission of Jesus. And have you ever in your life, well, known, well, how about this? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what you were supposed to do The answer was so simple, but then you learned that just because something was simple doesn't mean it's easy. For instance, how about losing weight? The answer is simple. Burn more calories than you eat. You're like, really? No, I mean, like, that's it. That is how you lose weight. Burn more calories than you eat. Diet and exercise are the key. It sounds simple. But it's not that easy to do, is it? It's rather challenging. Or how about not being in debt? The answer is super simple. You know what the answer is? Don't spend more than you make. You're like, Brian, that's so simple. I know, but is it easy? Not for some of us. Not if we've developed bad spending habits in our life, right? It can be rather challenging to figure that one out. But if we're honest, it's the simple things we know we should do that often get overlooked. We like complicated answers. Well, I'll be honest, I like complicated answers. I mean, um, yeah, I like complicated answers because then it gives me complicated reasons on why I don't do what I know I should do. For instance, Brian, well, how come you haven't lost weight? Well, I read in an article, right? It's because the air pressure, along with being next to the ocean, in the tilt of the earth, along with my blood type, and then my hazel eyes, when you combine those things, when there's a full moon for 30 days after, I cannot lose weight. It's all backed by science. And I love it because it's like, I, I, I can't. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change my eye color, so therefore, I can't do it. That sounds a whole lot better than... Let's be honest. I hate too much pizza and ice cream. Like, I don't know what to tell you. The other one sounds so much better because it's almost embarrassing, right, to admit that simple things aren't easy because they seem like they should be. We think if it's simple, that means it must be easy. But what we have to understand, and this is a safe place to be honest about those things, is just because something is simple doesn't make it easy. And the reason I bring this up is because what Paul talks about today is simple. It's common sense. It's obvious. But yet it is one of the most overlooked aspects of our faith and as a body of believers. It's one of those things we just don't really pay attention to because it sounds so simple. But not only do we think it's simple, I think somewhere down the road churches just think, oh, well, that happens just like automatically. Like, we don't have to monitor it. It just kind of happens. But just like I don't automatically lose weight without putting in effort, and just like I don't automatically not go into debt without putting in effort, even the simple things we have to be intentional about, but it doesn't make it easy. You see, because Paul dives deep into this topic. 
He dismantles our excuses and our rational, rationale about why as a body of believers we may not take this serious and why maybe, why maybe you don't take it very serious. Because here's what he wants us to know. That if you and me, if we are going to get serious about the mission of Jesus Christ, if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, if we're going to make immature disciples, then as a church, we must, absolutely must, take unity serious. It sounds simple, but it's not that easy, is it? But this is the simple thing that must happen in order to accomplish our mission. This must be a priority for our church, our leaders, and each and every person who calls First Baptist Church of Conway their home. Unity. Because you know it's never helped the church or the gospel when a church is known for not getting along, running off their pastors, talking about other people behind their back. Have you ever heard that helping a church? I tell you the story, and I think I've told you before, me and Jess, we, we first got down here. We were at the ball fields watching our kids. They did something with baseball. I don't remember exactly what it was. But we were there, and these two ladies behind us were just sitting there talking and bashing their church. They were talking about their pastor. They were talking about the church, and they were just, just slamming it. And I sat there and listened, and I wanted to, like, intervene. My personality is like, let me fix this. I need to help them. Let me just help them know what the Bible says. But I was scared to death they were going to say they were members of our church. Because I just got here. I wasn't sure. So I just kind of was like, I don't, I don't think they are. We're going to pretend they're not. I'm just going to let this one, this one go. But what broke my heart is I wasn't the only one that heard them. And the other people there, do you think they knew them? Of course. This is Conway. And all they heard was negativity from church people. How was that helping anybody grow in the gospel? How was that deepening people's relationships? You see, the only way we're going to be able to carry forward the mission of Jesus, of reaching people with the gospel and making disciples, if we are unified around that mission and that purpose. This morning, we're going to jump into what Paul says. We're going to use a different translation this morning because I didn't care for how the NIV translated it. They made it more complicated than it needed to be. But here's the three things we're going to learn this morning, that we must be unified against external opposition, internal opposition, and he gives us an um, example of what this looks like in practice. So first up, he's going to explain unity against external opposition. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 1:27. He says, above all, or like only, like this is the thing, if you get nothing else, above all, the most important thing, if you've went to sleep, if you're falling asleep, pay attention again. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner Worthy, worthy of the good news about Christ. You must conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The thing he wants to be clear about is that believers are not supposed to just make statements with their mouths, but make statements with their lives. They are to live and conduct themselves in a manner worthy of what Jesus has done. If you believe in the gospel, you must conduct yourself in a way that's worthy of the gospel message. Why? Because they're citizens. They're partakers. They're citizens of heaven. That's 
where they're really rooted in. That's where their loyalty needs to lie. And this should clarify your voting practices. That we are to be about kingdom people, about Jesus people, not political parties. We're not looking for the next savior of the world to come through politics, folks. Jesus already took care of that. He is the king. He is the savior of the world. And our lives should be shaped by the gospel. We should be gospel people. And he tells us how to do this. He says this in second part of 27. He says, then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit. You hear that unity? Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And I tell you what, those verbs get me fired up. See, you're not impressed that I know what a verb is. You should be impressed that I know what a verb is. Like, that excites me about what Paul is saying. Because this word, standing together, is a military word saying, do not lose ground. We've gone this far. We've taken this land. No matter what happens, do not give up the bridge. Do not let them overtake it. Stand your ground and come together with one spirit, like the togetherness, because we have one purpose. As we talked about last week, we are to be purpose-driven people. We are to be people driven by the gospel, driven by the mission of Jesus Christ. And we are designed in, our, our, we are designed in a way, all human beings are, that we will give our lives to something. And Jesus invites us to give it to him and his mission. So he says, stand together, band together. Don't let anything overtake it. Because united in one spirit and one person. And then he uses this athletic word to say to strive for or, I love it, fight together. Folks, we're not supposed to fight each other. We're supposed to fight together. For what? Well, you know, Brian, I love this paint color and we just needed for the faith. Folks, the gospel tells us that people are literally dying and going to hell every single day. Do we believe in the gospel? Are we fighting together, not each other, together to get the gospel out there? To tell people there is hope, that there is love, that Jesus is all of those things. We are to fight to carry the gospel forward. We are to fight to make it happen, not lose ground. Does that stuff fire? It fires me. I don't need much to fire me up, and that right there fires me up. That fire, it should get you excited like we should be action-oriented people. You see, in the military, which is one of the words he used, everybody has specialties. Everybody's good at something. But you take those different specialties and you put them together and you have a unit. And that unit then has a mission. Just like a, a sports team, the Super Bowls today, right? Everybody has different positions they play. But those different positions come together and they have one purpose to, to win this game. In a church, we're all going to be different with different abilities and different things that we're good at. But we come together as one church. To carry out and fight for the gospel. And it sounds easy. But every coach knows it's not that easy. It's not that easy. But as believers we have a mission. And when we experience it we will face external opposition. 
Look at what he says next, verse 28. He says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Those who oppose the gospel, those who oppose the mission. Paul says, don't be intimidated by them. We need to be united against external threats. We're to be fearless. We talked about it last week. We're to be fearless against opposition. So, Brian, what are they opposing? The gospel, the work of the church, the message of Jesus Christ. We are to stand firm and speak boldly the name of Jesus Christ. Even when outside pressure says, well, you're not supposed to do that. That's not polite. That's not not. Whoa. Folks, turn me down, please. All right, but just say, we want to stand firm even when those external threats want to say, you know, you can't take the gospel there. You can't talk about that. You see, the church in our country has had it easy. It's just now becoming kind of awkward to be a Christian, right? Just now in our culture, is it kind of weird and awkward that we believe some things that our culture may not agree with and, and vice versa. Like we're just now struggling. But never forget for 2,000 years and right now in our world, right now, people are being killed for being Jesus followers. Their families are being killed for being Jesus followers. That's nothing. We have an opportunity, folks. Sure, people may say, wow, your views are outdated. That's okay. Jesus still loves you. You want to know about them? Let's talk about it. We stand firm and fight together. A life, excuse me, living a life worthy of the gospel means we're united and understand that external threats will happen. Then when we start pushing forward, it will upset outside folks saying, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't do that. In other words, we need to carry our mission forward, and we don't need to be afraid of what the city might say if we want to do something for the gospel. We need to carry the gospel forward. Even if people who don't come to our church or maybe used to go to our church may not understand and may start talking, we say, hey, we're standing united. We're going to keep moving forward. We need to keep moving forward even if our government says, which may happen one day, When our government says, you you can't be boldly speaking that kind of stuff, we're going to march forward anyways and say, we are standing firm and fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, you do this. This is what we do as a church. We fight for what God calls us to. Verse, second part of 28, he says this. He says, this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. Like, Brian, that's not very kind. I didn't write it. This is what the Bible says. Like when we're united and people take a stand against us, Paul says, no, no, no. When you're united, they take a stand. You find this, this, this opposition. That's just a sign they're going to be destroyed, right? But that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Paul says, when we stand together in the face of opposition, it's a two-way sign pointing to our salvation and their destruction. Paul says, it's going to happen, folks. Take a stand for the gospel. Do we realize how serious this is and how strong Paul's language is here? That we must be united around the gospel in our mission to spread and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he says this, verse 29, here's why you do it. He says, for you have been not only given the privilege of trusting in Christ. Like our salvation is a privilege, folks. You've not only been given a privilege, but also the privilege of yeah, do you realize how much the Bible talks about suffering? We don't like it, do we? But it prepares you. It's going to happen. It's normal. 
It's, it's not, it shouldn't be unexpected. It's part of the Christian life. He says, you've also have the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. Together. This should be a place of healing and restoration and help. We are in this together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Paul says, you've seen what's happened to me. Expect it to happen to you, but we stand and we fight for the gospel anyways. But not only are we to stand against external opposition, but we have to stand against internal opposition. Because you know as well as I do, churches love to blow themselves up into our day's world, don't they? Y'all ever heard about that? Yep, you sure have. Churches blow themselves up over all sorts of different things. But Paul puts a death blow to this. And listen, if you struggle in churches, if you struggle being at church, if you've struggled with them, or if you're unsure about change and stuff like that, I just need you to lean in today. Because Paul deals with this. He could put the finality. This can be the last day you ever struggle with not getting along or worrying about change. Today can be your day you can be redeemed from that. He's going to deal with it. It's not going to be comfortable. I'm just letting you know. But he'll show with you why. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Like, like, are you encouraged and strengthened because you're in Christ, that he saved you and set you free from sin, that he died on the cross for you? Like, is there an encouragement that he's for you and not against you? Is there an encouragement that you can speak to the God of this universe that's created this whole thing? Like, you have a, a way to talk to him, and he wants to know you and love you. Like, is there any encouragement from that? You're like, well, yeah, of course, Paul. I mean, of course. He says, any comfort from his love? You know that longing that you have, I have, we all want to be loved, we can't help it, we don't want to admit it, but we all crave love. You know that thing that only gets filled from God, nobody else can satisfy it? We look for it in marriages and find out they can't do it. We look for it in our parents, they just disappoint us, right? I mean, we look for love in all these places where who is the ultimate source of love? Yeah, when you find it in God, it's finally fulfilling. It's like this tap that never runs out. So is there any comfort that God loves you? Like, well, of course, Paul. I mean, of course there is. He said, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Like, are you partnering with the Spirit and what he's doing? Have you been gifted? Are you serving? Like, do you love what God has done in your life and through your life? Like, yeah, Paul was a mess before, and God has, like, radically changed it. Like, yeah, come. You, you, you like partnering together with the Spirit? That's great. He says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? I mean, do your hearts break for the gospel? Do your, do your hearts break for people who don't know Jesus? Do you really care? Are you compassionate? Are you tender? We're like, well, yeah, I mean, I need to be a little bit better. But yeah, Paul, I mean, I like, this is, this is okay, where, where are you going? He says, well, this. He said, then, if, if you said yes to any of that, then make me truly happy. Make my joy complete is what another version says. He says, you want to do something for me? Get along. Come together. And until I was a parent, I probably wouldn't have understood this. Because the one thing I want my kids to do is what? Get along one day for one minute. Please just stop fighting. <laughs> just, just, just quit. Just love each other. I mean, I tell them, I said, look, these are your best friends, whether you know that. They're the only people who are going to be here your whole life. Your spouse won't know you as well as they know you. Like, these are your people. This is your family. He says, just get along. You see, Paul's the founder of this church, and he wants them to be successful. He just wants to see his people get along. And let me ask you a question before we get any further. 
or preferences more important than God's mission to you? Before you answer that, what do you talk about at church? What do you talk about when you're away from church? And what do you say about the church? What do you argue about? What do you call your friends about? Do you call about because you're excited that you've shared the gospel and your friends are coming to church? Or do you complain about Brian wearing jeans today? (laughs) We laugh because it's uncomfortable. But is our preferences more important than our mission? And if so, it's okay. Just lean in today. It's okay. Just lean in today. Because God has given us a mission. He wants us to get on board with that. And Paul says, so make me truly happy by doing this. He says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. You're like, but have you met? He's like, I know. Work it out. Agree wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another. And working together with what? Seven purposes in mind. One. One mind and purpose. Meaning we are so unified. We are of one spirit. We are of one mind. We are agreeing. We are like a well-oiled machine ready to reach people and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Like that's what this whole section, I can't make this up. It's too good. Like this is what he's saying. This is what he's driving out. That we are to agree wholeheartedly. That means have the same mentality. We can't agree about everything, but we can agree about what we're doing here what our purpose is at a church, and what God wants for us to do. And we have to come to the place, each and every one of us, that our mission given by our Lord is more important than our preferences and our comfort. Is reaching people more important than the seat I sit in? Sounds silly when we frame it like that, doesn't it? But is reaching people with the gospel, seeing lives change with the gospel, more important than our comfort? The answer needs to be, well, yeah, okay, okay. So we agree wholeheartedly, loving each other, and that must be our common goal. That we accept people where they are, I mean, all messed up from all sorts of messed up backgrounds. Not people who just look like us and come from the same school we come from or the same socioeconomical status that we come from. Like, like not just those things, but like we accept people who are different, who are raw, who are struggling. Like, we love people. But we love them enough to say, hey, you can come as you are, but you can't stay there. You you, got to get going. We got to work through some of this stuff. That's what we do as a church. We love you where you are and then love you enough to tell you you can't stay there. Isn't that what you do as parents? Of course it is. So we love each other and then we work together with one purpose, one mind, in agreement that we must love and do the things that Christ has asked us to do, that is sharing the gospel and helping others grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, unity is not an option. It's a mandate. Teamwork is not an option. He's not done talking. He's going to keep going. He says this, don't be... We're like, let's just skip that word, right? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. We're like, man, come on, Paul. How'd you know me? I know. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Selfishness says it's about me. 
Selfishness says it's what I like. We don't try to impress people, meaning pride. That's the issue there. Pride takes us to a place where we think we're more important. And remember, we've talked about this. We know we're prideful if we start giving people our resume and they never ask for it. When you start talking about your careers and your jobs and how awesome and amazing you are, that's pride. Let it go. He says, be humble by thinking of others as better than you. You're like, yeah, but Brian, did you, did you see them? You're like, yeah, they're, just think they're better than you. Because if you thought someone was better than you or that really important person, like, I don't get starstruck. I know a lot of people do. But if, if, but if you saw that person that you thought was really awesome, you would do everything possible to make them happy, wouldn't you? That boss, you're like, oh, he's in control of my raise. I'm going to do everything possible to make my boss like me because my boss will give me more money. He's like, yeah, that's what you do when you think someone's better than you. You, you, you kind of, you know, you're loyal to him. You suck up to him, that kind of thing. He said, yeah, look at everybody that way. Look at yourself as the least. Start serving other people. In other words, the way we stay unified as a church when we face internal issues is by leveraging who we are for the benefit of other people. We leverage all that we are, all that we have, all of our talents, our gifts and abilities and our influence. We leverage all of that to help other people. We look out for their benefit, not our own. We look out for their comfort, not our comfort. We look out for their growth, not our growth. And where this gets into play is we have to bring this into mind with maturity. That as Christians, we are to grow in our faith, meaning this is going to look different at every stage. But if someone has been in church for 70 years, at some point, we just got to have a discipleship conversation and say, look, you got to grow up. Like, this is not okay. We, we got to move on. It's time because we love you. We need you to grow. So this can only happen if we are first united about our common mission. We're to leverage ourselves for others to hear the gospel and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do, folks. We're to leverage ourselves so others can hear the gospel and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single person who volunteers in preschool church and children's church, they're leveraging who they are to help our kids hear the gospel and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Every person who volunteers with the youth is leveraging who they are for the benefit of the youth to hear the gospel and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Every Sunday school teacher is leveraging who they are for the benefit of other people to hear the gospel and grow in the gospel. People who do the construction at the church, people who work on the board and the business side, people who love to stare at spreadsheets. I don't know why they like it, but God only knows why he gave them that gift. But thank goodness he did them and not me. They are leveraging their gifts for the benefit of others to then be freed up to share the gospel and help others grow in the gospel. As a church, we must leverage all of our resources and everything we do to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and help them grow in maturity in the gospel. That's what we must be great at. I heard a church say that this week, and I absolutely love it. Here's what they said. They said, we must be great at making disciples, everything else. We just got to be good enough. I said, man, I like that. Music, eh, good enough. Preaching, good enough. Children's, good enough. Youth, good enough. Carpet, good enough. Everything else, we just need to be good enough. But what do we need to be great at? Reaching people with the gospel, 
and making disciples. That is what we need to pour all of our efforts into. And you say, I say, we say. You didn't say it out loud. You said it in your heart. It's okay. You say, what about me? I mean, what, what about me? I've been here for. I've done this here for. I like, I need. Our natural reaction is the selfishness. It's okay. Paul knows that. That's what's rough about Paul. He, he can, you know, catch us off guard. He says, yeah, what about you? He says, great. I'm glad you brought this up. If you want to know what you're supposed to do, how many of us want to know what we're supposed to do? Well, I'm preaching to four of you. Okay, the four of you who want to know what you're supposed to do and everybody else who needs to know what you're supposed to do. Here it is. It's amazing. Lean in. Wake up. Here it is. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You say, man, why you always got to go there? Because that's the point, folks. That's who we are. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And he's going to give us an overview to get us out of our selfishness. And I'm telling you, if we get this, if we pay attention, this can be the last day you ever deal with it. Because you can just go back and read this section and go, you know what, I'm good. Because he explains it. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He says this. He says, though he was God, this is Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to be clinged to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a, what? Say it with me. Slave. God came down to be a slave. That's our faith, folks. And was born as a human being. Jesus did not use his divineness for his benefit. What would you do with divineness? Well, I'd be out of debt. I'd have a big old house. I mean, it would be bad. Wouldn't you? You've ever played what happens if you win the lottery? Y'all ever thought through that? Yeah, imagine if you were God. What could you do? Jesus did not use his divineness for his own benefit, but he used being divine. He leveraged all that he was. God doesn't get any bigger for the benefit of you and me. He gave up his rights, all that he's entitled to for being God, and took the position of a slave. You see, we are to give our benefits. We are to give up all of who we are for other people rather than cling to, right? What we cling to is the source of selfishness, the stuff we don't want to go. We want to cling to it and hold tight to it. But he says, no, 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 give that up. Give up what you're clinging to and take the posture of a slave. You serve other people. Give up your rights for the benefit of other people. So we leverage all that we are because it's because of his divineness he was able to sacrifice himself on the cross. Nobody else could have done it. So he leveraged the fact that he was God. You leverage your gifts, your abilities, your talents, all that you have. You leverage it and use it for others to know and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not called to be consumers but producers of the gospel. He's not done, verse seven, second part of verse seven. He says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience and died a criminal's death on the cross. How far are we willing to go for others? Jesus went to the cross 
He died a criminal's death. And what that entails is the shameful public humiliation of being tortured. You know, it's one thing to be tortured. It's another thing to be tortured in front of everyone you grew up with. And then to see you like that and watch you bleed like that and hear you groan and moan. It's a completely different thing to be publicly humiliated in that way. But yet he did that. So how far are we willing to go? Brothers. That's how far Jesus. Who are we supposed to have the same attitude like, mindset like? And this is his attitude. This is what he did for others. So how far are you willing to go so other people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? How far are you willing to go so that other, the next generation, my kids, your grandkids, your cousins, your niece, how far are you willing to go that, so they can grow up and know Jesus and be discipled and have other people pour into the lives? How far are you willing to go to make that happen? Will you give up your time? Preferences, selfishness. Christ is our example. He gave up his life. He leveraged all that he was for the benefit of you and me. And Paul says, look what happens. Therefore, God elevated. God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus. You have to get excited when you hear this, don't you? Like, this is so exciting. This has been an exciting Sunday. I just have to say that. Let's start over. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He gave up for the benefit of others. In all accounts, he was shamed, publicly humiliated. It, it was done. It was over. Nothing can happen. But who stepped in? God stepped in and elevated. And what the world looked at as a shame, God elevated his son to be the highest there is possible. You cannot get any higher than every single thing bowing to you. What we miss is this, is that when we're involved with God, when we give up things for God, when we let go of our preference, we let go of our desires, we say, God, it's for your glory. It's for the discipling and reaching other people for your glory. God, when it's all about you and we think we're giving things up, he turns around and then he has the ability to elevate you further and higher than you could ever go yourself. He gets involved. And when he gets involved, folks, you'll be a messed up teenager preaching one day like me. We think when we give up that he can't do something with it. But what we see is when we leverage all that we have, when we take the position of serving other people, God gets involved. And when God gets involved, you better watch out. Folks, when our church, we let go and we let God Watch what he does. We say, God, it's for your glory. We're going to disciple. We're going to teach people. We're going to reach people. We're going to be all embarrassed. We're going to go stand on a street corner with a bullhorn during lunch. Tell everybody about Jesus. Who's with me? Oh, we got, we got, we got more people are doing that than wanting to hear the verse earlier. I'm just, now I'm excited. But do you see when God gets involved, God is not going to bless your selfishness. God is not going to bless your pride. God is not going to bless your preferences. 
And when a church focuses on those things, he's not going to get involved in that. Die to that. End that. And live to tell people about the gospel. Live to help disciple other people. And here's what I want you to see when we cling to that selfishness, those internal desires, those fight for your rights. We'll miss out on being a part of what God is doing in this world. A Christian, if you're not a believer, this isn't for you. If you are a Christian, we are commanded, not asked, commanded to take on the mindset of Christ. So let's make that decision today. That we're going to leverage who we are for the benefit of others. We're going to fight for unity. It's going to be a priority that we're, we're going to come together. We're not going to fight. We're not going to fuss. We're not going to talk about that silly stuff. We're going to turn those into gospel conversations. Oh, yeah, I know. I didn't like the jeans either. Who'd you share your faith with? All right, shh, shh. Right? We could turn that around pretty quick. Who'd you tell about Jesus this week? Maybe if you wore jeans, you could talk to them more, right? Maybe they'd be more receptive. But we have to make a stand. And I think we can make a stand. You were to use your leadership abilities, your training to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were to use your spiritual gifts for the advancement of the gospel to help other people grow in the relationship with Christ. Use your finances, and we could list on and on and on. But leverage who you are for the benefit of the gospel. And as a church, we must use all of our resources we have for the benefit of other people. Pour our resources and helping you grow as a Christian. And then what we want to do is then we want to release you into your home. We want to release you into your workplace. We want you to use all that you are to be the best business leader, to be the best manager, to be the best business leader, to be the best lawyer, doctor, fast food worker, janitor. It doesn't matter. Be the best you can possibly be for the glory of whom? Right, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to train and develop and then send you out. Did they come back and get refreshed to send you out? So church, are you ready? Are we ready to take a stand for the gospel? Are we ready to fight for the gospel? Have you settled those attitudes in your heart? Today is the day. Put it to death. And let's put on the mindset of Jesus Christ. This isn't easy. It's simple. But it's not easy. But remember why we do this. Philippians 1.27. Above all, you must live as citizens heaven. Conducting. This is what it looks like. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy. I think unity what Jesus did for us on the cross, I think Christ is worth our unity, don't you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you've given us a mission. We know that we are to share our faith with other people and invest in them to help them grow to be more like Christ. Heavenly Father, we humbly confess that pride and selfishness and all preferences, they all creep up in all of our minds. But Lord, we accept that to take on the mindset of Christ. Father, we're going to give up those things we cling to. We're going to take on a position of a servant. And we thank you for all of the people who've intentionally invested in our lives. Father, we want to invest in the lives of others. Father, stir inside of us how we can be disciple makers. 
how we can lead ministries, start ministries, or use our gifts to expand your kingdom. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. And I pray that you use our church in a mighty way for your glory. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.